You can turn in your Bibles this morning to Mark chapter 10, and as you go there, uh, Christ in these moments is just using a situation to teach his disciples to begin to look at things in a greater depth, to not be limited by human vision, but to use spiritual discernment and vision to understand the situations that confront them in life. Then he also uses this to teach the characteristics of people that would be uh, part of his kingdom. Uh, the kind of attributes that you would see uh, within those people uh, that would be part of his kingdom. So that's what we're going to be talking about here this morning. But Mark chapter 10, starting in verse 13. It says, People were bringing their children to Jesus to have him touch them, but the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He said to them, Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. I tell you the truth, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms and put his hands on them and blessed them. So the first thing that we see here in this passage is that everything that we encounter, we need to make sure that we are viewing uh, with spiritual vision. Now, what that means, again, we've talked about before, is that so many today, even among Christians, that there is a, a distinction between what we see in the Word of God, what we know that the Word of God says. There is a distinction between that and how we handle situations on a daily basis. Meaning that uh, we need to have a Christian worldview, that we need to have a spiritual worldview, that the truth that we have received from, from Christ and that we know that uh, is outlined in Him, the principles of God that we know are true, we need to then... Uh, use that as the lens by which we view the world around us. Every situation that we would never take a moment off from viewing things through the spiritual truths of Christ. Uh, the, the, the issue is that sometimes as Christians we become uh, bogged down in the situations of life. We begin to uh, try to accomplish things out of our own power, and in that, then we start to view things out of our own human vision, and there is limitation in human vision. We see what is presented at face value, and then we begin to make assumptions based on that. We begin to uh, categorize people or situations based on what we see at face value, but when we understand things through the spiritual truths of God, we begin to look deeper into situations and understand uh, even as far as God's intentions in the other in the the other person who may be involved in a situation, see, sometimes when we're limited by human vision, somebody may have certain character flaws, and we just begin to limit somebody based on those character flaws. We label the person. Well, this person is a complainer. This person is a liar. This person is this or this or whatever it is, rather than through spiritual vision, uh, looking at a person and seeing the nature of. Uh, man uh, maybe being caught up in sinful things, but also understanding then, when we're looking through human or spiritual vision, we look beyond that to see God's intentions in somebody. We look beyond those things that we are confronted with, whether it's lying, cheating, uh, somebody who has anger issues, or, or whatever it is that we are confronted with. We look beyond that to see God's intentions in them, and then as long as we can, as long as we're not putting ourselves in some sort of abusive situation or something like that, as long as we can, we align ourselves then with God's 
purposes, his eternal purposes and desires in that person. That's just one example of looking with spiritual vision rather than being limited by human vision. Uh, But those are some of the things that we see here in this moment. The disciples rebuke those who were bringing their children to Jesus. Uh, While the Bible doesn't tell us the exact reason that they felt that they needed to uh, turn these families away, it is safe to assume in some way that uh, they considered the time at hand, these moments with Jesus or whatever Jesus was doing, they considered that more valuable uh, if it was set apart for what they were doing rather than allowing these families to intrude in this moment. For some, in some way, they considered what they were doing more important than time with uh, these families or these children. Uh, so, but then we see, though, uh, whatever the disciples considered most valuable in this moment, meaning whatever they were doing or whatever Jesus was doing, in the eyes of Christ, that was not the most important thing. Uh, you see, it's when we have a right spiritual perspective, when we begin to view things through spiritual eyes, when we see things through the truth of Christ that shapes our worldview, that shapes the lens by which we view the world around us, when we have a right spiritual perspective, God teaches us what's most important. Now, that even applies to everyday life and all the situations that we encounter. Uh, Chuck Chuck Swindoll wrote a book uh, called The Church Awakening, and he talked about the difference between the urgent and the, the difference between the urgent and the important he says this those things most urgent rarely represent the things most important and therein lies the reason so many people today feel such a lack of satisfaction after working so hard and for so many hours each day uh, not only is that frustration true in the world which in which we live it is also it is all the more true in the church we attend. When we substitute the urgent for the important in the church of Jesus Christ, we emphasize work, activity, involvement, doing, producing, impressing, and accomplishing, but it leaves us feeling flat and empty. Exhaustion replaces satisfaction. Uh, so he's saying that there is a difference between the things that present themselves as most urgent in a situation there's a difference between that and what is most important. And most of the time, we get caught up in doing the things that are most urgent, meaning that somebody comes to you and says, well, this needs done. This has to be done now. Or whatever it is, there are, there are times where these certain things have to be done. And we jump to do all of those things. And in all of that, somehow we disregard what is most important. You see what happens when we begin to apply the principles of God to our lives and live in them and view the world around us based on the principles of God, we begin to have a spiritual perspective on what is actually important. And those things take priority in life. The important things are more uh, of a priority than the urgent things. Now, I understand there are things that have to be done. We have to pay bills. We have deadlines at work. All those things have to be done. But at some point, we have to start evaluating all of the urgent things in life and if they're taking away from the important things in life, and then are these urgent things actually necessary? Are there some things that are always urgent in my life that can be changed or taken away and making sure that I accomplish the important things? Again, when we apply the principles of God and we walk in His ways, we gain spiritual perspective and we begin to see what is most important rather than what is urgent. Um, we see this 
also, uh, Psalm 90 says in verse 12, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. So he's saying, help me understand this life and what is most important and how I may commit myself to the important things rather than always being run down uh, and becoming weary trying to accomplish everything that is urgent. Teach me to number my days that I may gain a heart of wisdom. Help me to understand a true perspective on this life, how fleeting this life is, how quickly it passes, how fragile humanity is. When I understand that, then it gives me a perspective of what is actually truly important in life. In this moment, whatever the disciples and Jesus were doing in that moment, the disciples thought that was more important. Jesus' perspective was different. Whatever they were doing in that moment, he knew could wait because it was most important in that moment to be with these families, to be with these children, to be with these parents in this moment. Uh, so the first thing, again, that we learn is it is essential for the people of God to pursue Christ and pursue his principles, applying them to their hearts so that we can gain spiritual perspective on the situations around us. Uh, the, the, what Christ saw in these moments was not a hindrance to what was happening, but he saw this as a moment uh, where he could bless these families and these children. And also he saw this as a teaching moment. He had some sort of special place in his heart. We see this in different places in the scripture. He had a, some sort of special place in his heart for children because of what they reflect. Because he has this perspective of his kingdom, he is the king, and he knows what uh, he desires to be the characteristics of those who would be citizens of his kingdom. The people that would compose his church, the king is looking at these children and seeing this perspective of these children who reflect the characteristics that he is looking for in the people that would be a part of his kingdom. McLaren's commentary says this, uh, it says the characteristics of of the child are those which the man must have in order to enter the kingdom, that their natural disposition is such as Christ requires to be directed to him, or in other words, that childhood has a special adaptation to Christianity. Childhood has a special adaptation to Christianity. Why is that? We're going to outline just a few things here in the next few minutes that uh, show us why childhood has a special adaptation to God's kingdom or uh, faith in Christ. And these are things that I have seen so much in our children. And if you have children yourself, you have seen these things in them, in their innocence, the way that they look uh, to us. Um, the first thing that we see is that, well, let me say this first. Children immediately come to parents for things things. The children, when they have loving parents, they immediately come to their parents for certain things. Now I understand there's certain ages that kids get to where they don't uh, immediately come to their parents. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about the ages in the innocence of children where they are fully reliant on their parents and they have loving parents. And in that moment, children immediately come to their parents for a lot of things. And what this reflects is the characteristics that we should have, even as adults, in the kingdom of God, that our heavenly Father, that we should immediately go to Him the same way that the innocence of children leads them to go to their loving parents. Now, the first thing that we see in children is that you will see that your children go to you immediately when they need help. 
uh, you know, we see this uh, in Riley and in Christian uh, over and over. And when they need help, they immediately call for their parents. Even the times where it's frustrating when uh, you're doing something else and you're busy, you hear them calling because they need help with something. Uh, Riley's gotten to the point where uh, she she has these... Uh, little powdered donuts that she eats and Dean and Willie Teal watch Riley so that may have been where she got hooked on these little powdered donuts uh but we had a, we had a bag of these up in our cupboard and uh every so often she would go over to this cupboard and start pointing up and she would just keep saying please over and over she would point up to the cupboard and say please please because she wanted these donuts. She needed us to help her to get up there to get these donuts. Uh, and uh, there are just so many ways that children look to us for help to get what is needed for them or what they are looking for. In the same way, we should go to God immediately for our help. Isaiah 41.10 says, So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And then Psalm 121 says, I would lift my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. You see, we as believers in Christ are called to go to him as our help in every situation that we wouldn't first try to do it on our own. And then when we become exhausted, when we run out of resources, then we go to God. Our first instinct should be to go to him as our help. Uh, we also see that children immediately go to their parents for protection. Uh, when they're scared or when uh, things are are uh, unsure around them, they want to be with their parents. They want to sit with their parents. They want their parents to hold them. Uh, you know, we see uh, it's been recently when you would turn on the vacuum cleaner or something, right? It scares Riley that that sound, so she would immediately want you to pick her up. Uh, so when children are unsure or afraid, they want to be with their parents. Uh, Psalm 91 says, uh, starting verse 1, Whoever goes to the Lord for safety, whoever remains under the protection of the Almighty, can, uh, can say to him, You are my defender and protector. You are my God, and you I trust. He will keep you safe from all hidden dangers and from all deadly diseases. He will cover you with his wings. You will be safe in his care. His faithfulness will protect and defend you. God says, I will save those who love me and protect those who acknowledge me as Lord. And Psalm 34 and verse 7 says, The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him, and he delivers them. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. Fear the Lord, you who is holy people. For those who fear the Lord lack nothing. Uh, he will keep you safe from all hidden dangers. Whoever remains under the protection of the Almighty uh, can say to him, you are my defender and protector. You are my God in whom I trust. You see, when we have the faith of a child, when we are as innocent in the as a child and see our heavenly father in that elevated way that he is our father, that he is sure that we can abide in his presence. He is a solid foundation that is uh, immovable, that, that he is a sure refuge for us. When we see him that way we go to him for protection again rather than seeking protection from things in this world we need to have a sincere faith in him 
as our protector, just like a child. We also see in children that they go to their parents for comfort. Uh, immediately when uh, a child gets hurt, uh, when they fall and, and get hurt, or something happens uh, and they're in pain, again, they immediately want to be with their parents. They want their parents to hold them and pick them up uh, and to just be with their parents. And we see that in our Heavenly Father, the same things we see in Him. Second Corinthians chapter 1, starting in verse 3, says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our afflictions. He is the God of all comfort. You see, in every situation that we need comfort within our hearts, it is essential that we view God as our Father and have the innocence of a child to not try to comfort ourselves, to not try to seek comfort from things of this world that can never offer satisfaction and comfort, but that we would immediately go to our Father, that we would be humble enough to go to Him and acknowledge that we need Him. As adults, there are so many times where it is impossible for us almost to admit that we need something. Even with God, it is so hard for us to just say, I am in need. God is the God of all comfort, and just like the innocence of a child that leads them to the arms of their parents in the midst of pain to seek comfort, we should go to our Heavenly Father to seek comfort. These are the people that God are looking for. These are the characteristics that He is looking for, people that would be humble enough to seek Him as uh, as their help, as their protection, as their comfort. And also, we see for nourishment. Again, children go to their parents for nourishment. You see, anytime uh, with a baby or, or a young child, as soon as they begin to get hungry, they start to cry or they go to their parents because they know that this is my source of nourishment. The food itself, sure, but I'm not going to get this food outside of my parent or this person who is caring for me. So they start calling for uh, the one who is caring for them. In the same way, our Heavenly Father is our nourishment. Uh, Matthew 4, 4 says, uh, But he, being Christ, answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And then John six thirty five says, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. So all of the people of God, the children of God, the citizens of his kingdom, these are the characteristics of those people, that they would seek God humbly for nourishment, knowing that he is the one who gives us bread of life, and in him alone we shall not hunger and shall never thirst for other things, because he will give us fullness in him. He is our nourishment. Uh, what else? There are some other things that we see in children. Uh, they are teachable. The children uh, want to be taught. They want to learn things. Uh, you, you see that uh, so many times young children try to imitate their parents or their uh, other siblings. They want to learn things. And uh, that is such an amazing characteristic that should be in the people of God, that they be teachable. You see, we live in a day where uh, people are only teachable up to the point where it begins to harm their pride. Once somebody feels like somebody is pushing them, once somebody feels like they're being pushed out of their comfort zone, once somebody feels like you're telling me something needs to actually change in my heart, or I did something wrong, once some people feel like that is happening, 
and they're being pushed in that way, immediately they start pushing back. They want nothing to do with it. They don't want to hear any of it. But that is not the heart of the citizens of the kingdom of God. The heart of the the citizens or the people of God would be that they would be teachable. Proverbs 13, 18. uh, Poverty and disgrace come to him who ignores instruction, but whoever heeds reproof is honored. You see, there are times in the life of believers where we're going to have to accept somebody pointing out in our hearts when they're doing it in love, absolutely. When we point something out, when we try to teach somebody, when we see something that needs corrected in somebody else, we need to approach it in love. But I need to be able to accept that. I need to be able to accept and get rid of my pride and accept that the person who is saying, hey, you see this in your heart, you see this, all these things that you're doing right now, this is not something that leads to a healthy relationship with God or and it's not beneficial, it's not edifying to the church or your relationships. This needs to change. You need to look at this. We need to be able to accept those things, understanding uh, the benefit of believers being able to look into the hearts of each other and encourage each other on towards love and good deeds. Part of that encouraging each other in love and good deeds sometimes hurts when somebody has to say, look, you need to think about this and maybe not do this anymore. The Bible outlines over and over that the people of God should be teachable people. Uh, We also see that children don't harbor resentment or hold grudges. They are able to forgive uh, quickly. We see this in Matthew 6 uh, outlines this for the people of God. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. Leviticus 19.18 says, Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor As yourself, the people of God should be people who don't hold grudges. If you see any children, there are times where they get mad for a moment. There are times where uh, even when they're playing with each other, uh, they might get mad, but that doesn't last very long. Uh, They don't hold grudges. They forgive quickly. That should be the same characteristic of God's people, the citizens of his kingdom, that we would not hold on to grudges, but we would be able to forgive quickly. Um, Now, in saying that, I understand, I I always try to say this because I know that there are people who have been wounded deeply uh, in ways of of abuse that have affected them for decades by the terrible decisions of somebody doing something to them, abusing them in some way. I am not saying that you need to just get over it and accept that and forgive us. We, we need to be able to forgive. That is something that we work towards in those situations. Absolutely. I acknowledge, though, that those situations take a lot longer to be able to work through than what I am talking about here is the common everyday things that the church gets tripped up over. Those, those are not the things, for the most part, that hold the church back. What holds the church back in forgiveness are the mundane things, the the superficial things that we get caught up in and hold grudges over. That somebody said this to me and I didn't like it, or uh, this person did this whatever way and that's not how we do it. Those are the situations where I'm saying uh, that we just have to move beyond that. We have to figure out how to move beyond that. If somebody has abused you, uh, those things will take a long time to work through uh, to be able to work towards forgiveness and uh, God allowing us through His Spirit to move through those things. But by the grace of God, 
He will lead you and comfort you to be able to forgive and move beyond those things. I always want to make those distinctions because, uh, again, what I'm talking about are the everyday things that the church gets tripped up over. And for the most part, they're superficial things that we hold on to. That is different than a situation where somebody is abused. And again, we work towards forgiveness in that, but it takes comfort of God. It takes time. It takes God's leading to be able to work through those situations. Um, but children don't hold harbor resentment or hold grudges. They're able to forgive quickly. Uh, the last thing, there, there are a lot of other things. This by no means is an exhaustive list. But the other thing that we see is that children are fully dependent uh, on their parents. Uh, you know, especially babies, young children, they are fully dependent in every way. Literally, their life depends on their parents. Everything that they are, everything that they have, everything that they need is dependent on their parents. And in the same way, we should view ourselves uh, as fully dependent on God as his children. Psalm 62, starting verse 5, says, I depend on God alone. I put my hope in him. He alone protects and saves me. He is my defender. I shall never be defeated. My salvation and honor depend on God. He is my strong protector. He is my shelter. Trust in God at all times, my people. Tell him all your troubles, for he is our refuge. I depend on God alone. I put my hope in him. You see, we should be people who don't depend on anything else. We don't depend on things of the world. We don't depend on uh, even family members, we don't depend on our spouse. We don't. Now, I'm saying at some point we rely on them for things, but what I'm saying is we don't depend on them for the source of our life. The source of our life, the source of our refuge, the source of our fulfillment comes from God. We depend on Him for that. And then out of that, we are able to have right relationships with family members, in our spouse, in our children. But when I seek life and refuge alone from them, uh, that will fail every time because we are talking about humans, and humans fail each other. We can get to the point where we rely and we take refuge in our family members and our spouse. Absolutely, that can come, but the source of those things have to come first from God. I am dependent on Him first. And only as I gain my source of life, my source of refuge, my source of hope and dependence, when I gain that from Him first, then all of these other relationships are be able to put, uh, be put in a right place. Uh, that's only as we seek God as a source of life first. So what are we saying here? Uh, what this comes down to is that the, pe that the people of God would seek to cultivate a heart of humility where they would seek God in all of these things, that they would seek God in all of these ways that reflect the heart and the innocence of children in the way that they rely on their parents. Uh, Andrew Murray s says this about humility. Or let me first read this end of Mark uh, chapter 10, verse 15. It says, uh, 
or in verse 14, when Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He said to them, let the children come to me and do not hinder them for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. I tell you the truth, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter to it, enter into it. So the criteria for people entering the kingdom of God is that they would enter it with the humility and the innocence of a child, the same way that a child is fully dependent on their parent, the same way that a child is teachable, the same way that a child doesn't harbor forever grudges or resentment. They seek nourishment from him. Their help is from him. The same way that a child seeks all of those things, that is what is necessary in the heart of someone who would enter into the kingdom of God. Those things have to be there in order to be able to enter the kingdom. All, it all comes down to us cultivating a heart of humility. Andrew Murray says this in his book called Humility. He says, Humility this is simply the sense of entire nothingness, which comes when we see how truly God is all, and in which we make way for God to be all. Humility is simply the sense or in the sense of entire nothingness, which comes when we see how truly God is all, and in which we make a way for God to be all. You see, humility comes when I recognize who God is, when I recognize who I am in light of who he is, and then I make way, I order my life in a way that allows him to be who he is in my life. Uh, he also goes on to say this, Humility, the place of entire dependence on God, is from the very nature of things, the first duty and the highest virtue of man. It is the root of every virtue Every Christian virtue, everything that is outlined in the Bible, the things that are, we are called to in him, every bit of what Christ calls us to, uh, the root of all of those things is a heart of humility, meaning that I recognize that I am entirely in need of God. And again, I order my life in a way that allows him to be God in my life then. He says this then of pride, because pride is the thing that keeps us back from entire dependence on God. Pride is what keeps us from seeking him as a help, as comfort. Pride is what keeps us from being teachable. Pride is what holds on to grudges and all of those things. Uh, he says this, uh, if, Christ, if, if humility is the root of every virtue, then pride or the loss of humility is the root of every sin and evil. So again, if humility is the place of entire dependence on God, the acknowledgement that God is all, leading us then to actively making a way in our lives for Him to be all, uh, when we begin to, to fail in any way to entirely depend on Him, when we choose not to allow Him to be God in every way in our life, then we immediately open the door to pride that leads us to sin and destruction. You see, what leads us to walking in righteousness and holiness with God is the acknowledgement that He is God, I am not, and I am entirely dependent on Him the same way that a child depends on their parents for everything. Uh, this is the last thing I'll say. Um, Again, our pride 
too many times leads us to the place where we try to do things on our own first. Where we exhaust all of our resources and our strength trying to accomplish things out of our own power before we go to God. Uh, we've been, you know, getting a few, a few things for Riley, a few, a few, you know, toys and things for her that, uh, but we've been trying to get her things that teach her, her things. Uh, one of the things we got recently was just this small green, uh, kind of backpack bag. And it has like a bunch of clips on the side that you can take apart and figure out how to put the clips back together. And then on the top, it has a zipper and, uh, you know, when we got that for her, we were trying to teach her how to use it. And I was sitting with her one night and uh, I was showing her the zipper on top. And I would zip it open and then close. And I did that a few times to try to teach her how to do that. And then she tried to put her hand on it to do it and she couldn't figure it out. So I put my hand, I put her hand in my hand while I, you know, unzipped and then zipped. Uh, and then I tried to get her to do it. And it was amazing. She tried to do that a couple of times and she couldn't get it. And then she reached over and put her hand in my hand. I didn't go out of my way to do that. And I, I wasn't going to do that. She went out of her way. She put her hand in my hand and pulled it over to the zipper uh, and kept her hand in my hand to, uh, so that I could show her again and help her with that zipper. Uh, that is what I'm talking about in seeing the innocence of children that lead them to seek help and comfort and protection and full dependence on their parents. And in the same way we see that in children, that is what God desires of his people, that we wouldn't exhaust all of our strength trying to accomplish things out of our own power. And then we go to God and try to figure out then how to accomplish. But we would be people who would seek that God would show us the way, that we would put ourselves in His hands, allowing Him to do it through us, that we would have such dependence on Him that no matter how elementary the task may seem at hand, no matter how many times I may have done whatever this is, or no matter how talented I may be, that I wouldn't try to do this out of my own power, but I would put myself in His arms to allow Him to show me new ways and better ways to put him in his arms that he would through his strength accomplish these things that are laid before us you see it is essential if we will if we ever desire to have deep communion and fellowship with god it is essential to have childlike faith that we would have the innocence and humility to seek God in entire dependence on Him for everything, allowing Him to be God and recognizing that I am not. God, we thank you again today for the opportunity to worship you, to look into your word. Father, for you, the truths that your word outlined uh, for our lives and all that your word gives us, your word says that you've given us everything that is necessary for life and godliness. We thank you for that, that you have not left us to ourselves to try to stumble through this life to find a way to heaven, to salvation. But you have, through your mercy and grace, given us every single thing that is necessary for us to live here and for us to journey home to be with you. Father, help us to build our faith in you. Help us to 
Cultivate hearts of humility so that we may depend on you for everything. Father, we love you today. It is in your name we pray. Amen.